0: Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Pratt. And today our guest is Eric Oliver calling from Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> and he has a background in accounting from Westminster College and he was an operations manager for a multimillion dollar landscaping and design firm in Long Island, New York. And now he has joined Cost Segregation Authority and has been speaking at local, regional, and national events. And he brings with him a passion for identifying cost savings and educating commercial real estate owners on the benefits of cost segregation. So, Eric, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you, Eileen, for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So, Eric, can you give us a little bit of insight into your background, and what drew you to cost segregation? How did you get into this space?
1: You know, that's a great question. So, as you mentioned, my degree is in accounting. I Growing up, throughout college, I was just trying to get college done as quickly as I could, like most of us. Didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was, you know, 20 years old. Never really good at English or science. So I said, numbers come easy. So let me get an accounting degree. That would be the quickest way for me to get done. So my degrees in accounting never really wanted to get into, you know, becoming a CPA. But I did, like I said, numbers have always come fairly easy to me. So I was living in New York and looking to head back west. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. My family's here, was looking to come back west and, came across a company that seemed very interesting, cost segregation. I didn't actually at the time understand or know what cost segregation was. It's a term I had not heard. And so did a little research and it fit my um, background in terms of what I do. So now I've been doing uh, business development for Cost Segregation Authority for the last six years and have really found a love for real estate. We work with real estate investors all over the country, CPAs all over the country, and I've really realized what a powerful tool real estate can be for long-term wealth. So I started dabbling in real estate myself. And then, like I said, I've been doing this for about six years now.
0: So can you break it down for us, Eric? Cost segregation at the top level, what does it really mean? And how does it apply to us as maybe a single family owner or it could be a multifamily owner? How does that come into play?
1: Sure. So cost segregation is fairly simple. It's just accelerated depreciation. That's the easiest way to describe it. So when you buy a piece of real estate, the IRS allows you to depreciate that over either 27 and a half years for residential properties or 39 years for commercial properties. So just to make the math easy, let's say you buy a storage unit, which would be a commercial property and you paid 390,000 for it, you're gonna get a $10,000 write-off every year against your income for the next 39 years. And cost segregation is kind of the idea is let's not the IRS hold on to that money for 39 years. I'm probably not even going to own that storage unit for 39 years. So how can I front load those deductions so that I get a bigger portion of that depreciation expense up front? And the way that's done is through an engineering-based study. And if you think about it, when you buy, let's use the multifamily for an example, when you buy an apartment complex you're not just buying walls and land. You're also buying a bunch of appliances. You're buying a bunch of flooring. You're buying a bunch of ceiling fans, garbage disposals, all these different components. However, when you buy it for $2 million, you don't know what the value of those components are. And so that's when you get a cost segregation company to come in and segregate those costs into different buckets. And I use that word lightly. I don't think it's a technical term. I wouldn't look it up, but break it up into different buckets. And those buckets, the IRS says, for example, that carpet is a five-year asset. So carpet should be depreciated over five years. Problem is when you buy a $2 million multifamily, you don't know the value of the carpet within those buildings. And so by having a cost segregation company come in and put those items into the right buckets, now you can take that carpet and say, okay, on my $2 million apartment building, I've got $80,000 worth of carpet. And that carpet now gets to be depreciated over five years versus 27 and a half in that example. So what we're doing is we're just front loading your depreciation. And as you know, and as your investors probably know, there's a number of reasons why you'd want to do that. There's a time value of money, you've got inflation, there's a number of reasons, but that's the long answer to your question about what cost segregation is.
0: So let's say you acquire a property. How do you know? How would you know whether or not the previous owner had already taken the cost segregation portion of those assets within your property and would it be considered double cost segregation? I guess, I don't know if that's the right term or not. <laughs> uh-
1: that's a great question. So if you think about it, every time that building changes hands, it starts with a new basis. So when you bought the building, let's say you own the building first, you bought it five years ago and you sold it to me. When you bought it for whatever price you paid for it, you paid a different price for, let's say the cabinets than I'm going to pay when I buy it from you. And so every time a building changes ownership, you're eligible for a new cost segregation study. So even though they're the same cabinets that are in there when you bought it versus when I bought it, we're still going to say those cabinets are five-year assets, and we get to depreciate those. I get to start depreciating those over a five-year period from the time I take ownership, just like you did. And so it's not necessarily double dipping. It's that you get to take your depreciation throughout your ownership And then I get to take my depreciation throughout my ownership. And so, as long as the property is changing hands, the cost segregation studies typically are done once per ownership. So, every time an owner owns a building, we do a study and then we start the depreciation schedule from the time they take ownership.
0: Got it. So, you're limited to when you actually acquire and take over that property. So, you don't need to worry about or even consider about what other people or the previous owner had done on their cost segregation studies or tax depreciations.
1: Nope, that's exactly right. It's it's all new property to you. And so you're going to put it on your personal or your LLC's depreciation schedule and start depreciating it from the time you put the building into service. So whether that's, you know, sometimes that's the day you buy it if there's already tenants in there, or sometimes maybe you have to make it rent ready. And so it could be a few months down the road, but you get to start taking those depreciation expenses once you put that building into service.
0: How early can you start a cost segregation study?
1: So typically, cost, you know, that's a great question, because cost segregation is one of the few tax planning tools that is as flexible as it is. So oftentimes we've got some investors where they buy a building, they send us their closing statement, and we do a study from the moment they buy their building. We've got other clients that own multiple buildings where... Maybe they're holding off. They buy a building, but they don't need the deductions this year because they have deductions left over from last year or they've got deductions from another cost study on a previous building. And so you don't have to do the cost egg study the year you buy it. You can kind of keep that in your pocket and use those deductions or use that accelerated depreciation kind of whenever you want, whenever you have a high income year or high tax year. All of a sudden you can say, okay, even though I bought this property in 2016, I have a big tax bill in 2021, so I'm gonna do a cost sake study on it. And I'm gonna take all those deductions that I should have been taking from 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20, and drop it on my 2021 tax return without having to amend any returns, which is great. There's actually a form out there that we fill out as part of our service. It's a 3115 change in accounting method, but basically you're telling the IRS, I've been taking my straight line deduction since 2016, I'm now going to accelerate it and do a cost segregation study, and here's the difference in those two numbers, and you get to drop that uh, depreciation expense on your current tax return, which is great. You don't have to go back and amend any returns or anything like that. So cost segregation is very flexible, and so it really can be used throughout any time within the ownership of that property.
0: Does timing of when you acquire the property take into consideration, for example, if I acquired a property in January versus if I acquired the property in December, is the amount that I'm able to appreciate, is that different or is it prorated based off of the timing of when I acquired it throughout the year?
1: You know, that's a good question. So there's something called bonus depreciation. I don't know if you're familiar with bonus, but I'll just touch on that quickly. But in 2017, at the time, President Trump who obviously is a real estate investor, he was changing the tax law and it was very favorable to real estate investors, um, enacted something called bonus depreciation. So bonus depreciation has been around for a number of years. And what bonus is, is bonus was used to kind of stimulate the economy. So if the economy was doing well, they would reduce the amount of bonus depreciation. If the economy needed a little bump, they would increase it. And what that means is, if you get 100% bonus depreciation on an asset, let's go away from real estate, let's talk about, let's say I buy a bulldozer. If I buy a bulldozer, and a bulldozer is normally depreciated over 20 years, if I get 100% bonus depreciation, I get to take 100% of those deductions in the first year. I don't have to wait 20 years and take my 120th every year for 20 years. I get to take 100% of that in the first year. So you know you hear about a lot of people go buy trucks or company vehicles at the end of the year because they're looking for a tax write-off it was kind of the same thing is like, hey, if I get to depreciate this 100% in year one, maybe it'll stimulate the economy, people will go out and buy more machinery, more equipment, etc. Because of bonus depreciation, so the tax law changed at the end of 2017. So any real estate that was purchased after September 27th of 2017, through the end of this year, is eligible for 100% bonus. So what that means is we're going to come in and we're going to segregate those different items of your building into five, seven, or 15-year assets. Those five, seven, and 15-year assets, even if you buy the building on December 31st of 2021 at 1159, if that building is in service, you get to take 100% of those deductions in the first year. So they're not prorated. They, you get the full amount of those bonus depreciable items, which are your five, seven, and 15 years. Your long-term assets, your structural components of the building, those are prorated and you do get to take a percentage of those based on how long you own the asset you know, in a given year. But those items that are bonus eligible, it's nice because you can buy a property December 31st and essentially get about a 30% write-off on your purchase price. So I'll kind of just back up a little bit, but you buy it for a million. You do have to take out the land value. Land is not depreciable. But if you buy it for a million and let's say land is 20%, so you've got 800,000 left over of building, you're gonna get about a 30% write-off on that 800,000 or in that case, $240,000 of write-off for 2021, even if you bought the property on December 31st. So significant numbers in terms of, you know, potential tax savings and tax planning strategies by using this bonus depreciation.
0: We love hosting this show. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Are there certain things or assets that are not eligible for bonus depreciation?
1: Yeah. So bonus depreciation, it's interesting because like I said, bonus has been around for a while. And I think the intent of bonus when it first came around was not for real estate at all, because one of the rules in order for it to be eligible for bonus depreciation is it has to have a useful life of 20 years or less. And remember, real estate has a useful life of 27 and a half for commercial uh, residential or 39 for commercial. So if it has to have a useful life of 20 years, it doesn't really apply to real estate. Well, that's what they thought. And I think that was the intent. But now you do a cost seg study, and we come in and find the 5-, 7-, and 15-year assets. All of a sudden, those are under the 20-year limit. And so now those are eligible for bonus. So that's the main thing. It has to have a useful life of 20 years or less. So all your 5-, 7-, and 15-year assets are bonus eligible. Your long-term structural assets are not. And so like your walls, your insulation, your windows, your doors, none of that stuff is bonus eligible, but your 5, 7, and 15 assets, your assets are eligible. And I, maybe I should back up and just kind of share with your audience, what are the 5, 7, and 15-year assets? But your 5-year assets is all your interior stuff. So your flooring, window coverings, cabinets, countertops, shelving, appliances, anything inside that's not part of the structure, basically, that can be easily removed. Your seven year assets, there's not usually not a lot of seven year assets, Um, that's kind of your telecommunication or your cable lines. So that's not a huge category. The other big category is your 15 year assets. And that is all your exterior land improvements. So curbs, gutters, asphalt, concrete, irrigation, landscaping, We actually go out and count the trees, bushes, and shrubs and put a value to those because those are 15-year assets. So those kind of gives you an idea of what falls within those categories.
0: Got it. And typically, if you were to engage in a cost segregation, how long does that process usually take?
1: So that's another great question. Cost segregation, it is an engineering-based study. And so from the time we get the signed engagement letter where you want to move forward, it takes about 30 or 40 days for us to complete the study. And so a good portion of that time is scheduling a site visit. So the IRS requires us to do a site visit on the property. So we'll send somebody out to look at the property. They'll determine what's in the building. And then we come back to the office here. And then usually about three weeks after the site visit's completed, we'll have our deliverable back to you, which is about a 40 to 60 page report that kind of line items each and every component of your building and the value of those components.
0: So what happens when you're getting ready to sell the asset, the property, what are the implications of the cost segregation study that you had performed while you had owned it? How do you recapture it upon sale?
1: Okay, great. So that's a great, we get asked that quite often in terms of how does recapture work? Because if I'm recapture, part of the idea behind recapture is to pay back your depreciation that you've taken on the asset. So the IRS says when you sell an asset, there's two types of tax upon sale. You pay capital gains tax and you pay a recapture tax. So people will say, Eric, why do I want to just front load all these deductions? If I'm in five years when I sell my building, don't I just have to pay it all back? And the answer is no, you don't. Kind of back into the answer here. But let's talk about if you don't do cost segregation and you buy an asset for $500,000 and five years later, you sell it for a million. When you go to settle up with the IRS, you're going to tell them that everything doubled in value. I bought it for five. I sold it for a million. So my land is worth double. My walls are worth double. And guess what? So is my dirty old five-year-old carpet. It's worth double what I bought it for. Well, that's not the case. Carpet doesn't go up in value. Carpet goes down in value. But if you don't have your carpet broken out, then how do you know what the value of that carpet is that went down in value? You just have one big asset on the books as multifamily building depreciating over 27 and a half years, you don't have it broken up into different categories. So you can't pull out those different pieces. So what ends up happening if you don't do cost segregation is you end up overpaying because you're saying that your carpet doubled in value and you're paying a gain on that increase. And again, there shouldn't be an increase there. You're not selling your carpet for more than you bought it for five years earlier. I mean, that only applies to like fine art antique cars that go up in value over time, right? Not carpet. So By doing a cost segregation study, it allows you upon sell to allocate your sales price to the right buckets, per se. So kind of to summarize, you're going to take your deduction today. I'm going to do the cost seg study today. Take my deduction at my ordinary income rate, which, you know, maybe 37%. When I sell my asset, I'm going to pay that back at a lower rate on a lesser amount. And the lesser amount portion is dependent upon how long you own it. So the longer you own it, the less you pay back but you pay it back at a lower rate on a lesser amount and save the spread. So if I take my deduction today at 37% and pay it back in five years at 20% recapture or capital gain, I'm saving that 17% spread, and that's a permanent tax savings.
0: So are there any assets that shouldn't have a cost aggregation study done on it?
1: Not that I know of, not that I can think of. So cost segregation is always, it's never a matter of if, it's more a matter of when. So if you're in real estate and you're generating revenue and you have income, you should always consider a cost segregation study. Because simply because of that rate arbitrage is reason enough. You're taking your deduction at 37, paying it back at 20 and saving the spread. That's reason enough to look into cost segregation so it's never a matter of if, but it's just a matter of when. You want to use these deductions in a year that you have high income. So if I'm operating at a loss this year, it wouldn't make sense for me to go do a cost seg study on one of my real estate holdings and create a bigger loss because I can't, that's not saving me any money. It's just creating a bigger loss that I'm going to carry forward. So that's the nice thing. Like I was mentioning earlier, just kind of keep it in your back pocket and say, okay, when am I going to have a high income year? You know, maybe I sell an asset and I have a huge capital gain that I need to offset. That would be a good time to do a cost egg study. Or, you know, you had a great year in real estate and your rents are going up, your expenses are coming down, and so you're showing significant rental income and you need some deductions to offset that. That would be a good time to do a cost-seg study. So it's usually not if, it's just a matter of when is the best time to do those studies.
0: So in your experience, as you've been doing several and many, many, many different types of cost segregation studies as well, what has been the biggest mistake that you've seen people do as they've been engaging in these types of studies?
1: So I would say not engaging in them at all or doing it too late in the process. And the reason I say that is there's a huge time value of money element to these cost segregation studies. If I can save 100000 in taxes this year and go put that down on a new duplex next year, You know, that duplex starts to grow, the values go up, you know, my mortgage goes down on it because they're paying down my mortgage. There's a huge time value of money. So I oftentimes will work with clients and they're like, yeah, I paid, you know, 200,000 in taxes last year. And I'm like, wait, but you owned all this real estate. Why did you pay so much in taxes? The law right now is so advantageous to the real estate investor that if you own real estate, you should be paying very little taxes right now overall as a whole. And so I think that's the biggest problem is there's just, and I don't know that it's, we work very closely with CPAs and CPAs are a great ally of ours, but there's a huge difference um, between a tax preparer and a tax planner. And so a lot of real estate investors that they work with tax preparers and they're just preparing their taxes, but they're kind of like general practitioners. They know a little bit about a whole wide array of subjects, but they don't dive deep into real estate or they don't dive deep into these depreciation numbers and so having somebody on your team who understands real estate and who is a tax advisor is a huge advantage versus having somebody who's just preparing your taxes you know that's kind of how i look at it and so that's probably the thing we see most is people just don't utilize it as much as they should
0: So we've been hearing a lot about the changes in the tax code. There's going to be a lot of changes coming out. Things are kind of in flux. Cost segregation may be impacted. Can you share with us a little bit about what are some of the changes that you're seeing coming down and some things that we can kind of expect as real estate investors?
1: Yeah. So you know, there was some talks originally with the new administration about getting rid of this bonus depreciation. So Just to touch again on bonus depreciation, bonus depreciation took effect September 27th, or excuse me, 100% bonus took effect September 27th of 2017, and it goes through any asset that's purchased through the end of this year. Starting in 2023, that 100% drops to 80%. And then in 2024, it drops to 60. In 2025, it drops to 40. And then in 2027, it's 0 And that's the current tax law that's on the books right now. And so there were talks about getting rid of some of this bonus depreciation. The good news is for real estate investors is the documents that came out through the Ways and Means Committee, the original proposal on what the tax changes would be, didn't mention bonus depreciation. And so I don't think bonus depreciation is going away right now. It will start to sunset starting next year, but I don't think it's going away, at least as we know it now. So um, that's the good thing.
0: Got it. And so for you, Eric, what has been, I guess, the biggest lesson that you've learned as you've been working with several different real estate investors on cost segregation? So what's the biggest takeaway that you've gotten as people are engaging in cost segregation and putting these things together?
1: You know, I think the biggest takeaway is cost segregation is such a strategic tool or can be such a strategic tool in terms of tax planning. I mean, you can... Implement it on exit strategies. You can look at estate planning and use cost segregation. So, I think kind of going back and reiterating what I said about the tax planner, having a good tax strategist or tax planner in your team is so important because cost segregation really can be used in a number of facets. You know, maybe you're thinking about selling a property, but you don't want to pay a huge capital gain. But you have other real estate. Well, have you done cost segregation on that other real estate to offset that gain? You know, maybe it's a, a a way for you to get out of those capital gains. Or in terms of syndicating or getting other investors and offering them these tax deductions, you know, they'll they'll give you money and then you offer them tax deductions. It's a great, there's just so many things that can that cost segregation can apply. There's so many ways you can apply it in real estate that I think that's kind of the big takeaway. I've seen it used in a number of different ways, a number of different investing strategies, You know, whether it's incorporating it with 1031 exchanges, people incorporate it with projects and opportunity zones. There's tax credits that can be used along with it. There's so many different facets of it that it really is a real flexible tax planning tool that you should definitely be aware of and make sure your CPA is aware of.
0: Got it. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise on cost segregation with us. That was very, very informative and a lot of value right there.
1: Oh, no problem. Yeah, please. I'm glad to be here. And so if you have any questions, any further questions, feel free to reach out. We have a website. It's just www.costsegauthority.com. But my contact information is on there and please use us as a resource. We'd love to answer any questions you might have.
0: Absolutely. We'll put those in the show notes so people can also find them easily as well. Oh,
1: perfect. Okay. Sounds good.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Eric. I really appreciate it.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.